in this week's episode of From the Top. Elphaba storms off to sing Defying Gravity at the... Where, where, Mary? At the end of Act One, Stephen. Okay, perfect. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll never be loved and I'll die alone. And, but no, we got to put it in a song because then it makes it more palatable. You would have to prove that you can be a... Oh, no. Oh, no. What? Bringing this back. Hey, oh, let's go through a Bechdel test. <laughs> I don't know where the f*** that came from. Anyway, moving on. Because that's what makes her so nice. <laughs> Just for you. From terrible green wizard throughout the land, she flies. Defaming our poor wizard with our calamities and lies. Let's get into some talking points with this. <gasps> this huge, bigger than big show of shows. I like it. I'm gonna start off in a in a weird place. Get it, get our juices flowing Whoa, with this one. Okay. So I'm actually gonna start off with a line that the wizard has in uh we get to see right before Elphaba storms off to sing Defying Gravity at the where where Mary? At the end of Act One, Stephen. Okay, perfect. Okay. <laughs> You know, there are some things that I probably just shouldn't tell you, but you know what? <laughs> Fuck it. I mean, we've been friends for this, over a decade. I don't care. This will forever be in the litany of things I will never let you forget. So uh, <laughs> the, the wizard says the truth is simply the thing that everyone agrees on. Mm, uh, let's dig a little okay. deep in this and we can we can tie in, though, like good deeds. Sure. What is the truth? Well, I think it's a very interesting premise to say that the truth is something that everyone agrees on. We we know that just because you agree on it doesn't mean it actually happened. It, that might be the truth that you tell yourself is what is true, but it, it might vastly differ from what actually happens. Human beings are unfortunately a species that like if you are alone in your thinking, you will be over taken by the majority pretty quickly and so the easiest way to kind of dance through life is to conform and to believe what the masses tell you because it's so much easier to do that than it is to like try to swim upstream i don't know i that statement is kind of i mean that's definitely a, a kind of a controversial thing because yeah it, it does beg the question what is truth and only when our perspective is challenged do we actually go was that it or am, am I just making that up? And I think it takes a really strong person to be able to say, actually, that's not true because I was offered new information. You change the world when you change your mind. And once mm -hmm. you're offered a new perspective, you are allowed to change your opinion based on what you get. I don't know. Blind truth, just because everybody else believes it seems kind of dangerous to me. Absolute, like slippery slope. Yeah. It, it becomes this thing that can almost get out from under you and you no longer have control over it. You yeah. can, it's like the rumor mill. You whisper one thing and then it grows or it, it becomes something, it becomes its own thing, which yeah. then becomes true. True because it exists. It is a thing. But was it actually what happened? What I, This always reminds me of, uh, it was a viral thing going around that people kept reposting for so long. And it was like two guys pointing at the number and it was a nine or a six. And someone was like, no, 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 it's a nine. No, 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 it's a six. And then the whole under 
underneath it. It just depends on what perspective. Both of them are right. I It, it never sat well with me because it finally someone had the balls to like did do the quote fix on it. Sure. Scratched out all the stuff and then wrote their own thing. They explained it in a way that was like, no, actually it was meant as something. It was created and meant to be either a nine or a six. And that creator's intention is what it is. Just because you're looking at it from a different angle and it could be something different still doesn't mean that that is what it is. So to me that like broke open this idea of like, yes, absolutely. That's what I've been feeling when I look at this. Just because you want it to be something or you want to be right, we don't always have to be valid. And sometimes that's okay. Is it the argument of the the dress is blue and black? No, it's yellow and gold. Like your perspective yes. is the, the thing yes. that influences. No. Yep. It's actually something. <laughs> Like you said, it becomes a slippery slope and gets dangerous pretty quickly because just because somebody's perspective is different doesn't justify what they do with that, knowing that that is their, quote, truth, right? I mean, everything is relative. And, you know, yeah, only when you go back to the original source of however it was created by whoever it was created by, that is what it is. And unfortunately, people spiral all the time going down loops of like, well, this is how I perceive this. And it just, it gets, the muddies the water so quickly. We're a little sensitive to it coming out of a Trump era regime where Ugh, alternative facts became a thing. And you're like, well, that's not my reality. And, and that's fake not what news, I news, like quit. And I'm like, no, it's actually just news. You're just lying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then that sort of ties into like, uh, like I was saying, good deeds. Or uh, this was interesting to me because I love how in this show it constantly comes up. They use the word good so often it's like they like place plop it drop it in like Mm -hmm. all these fun little moments where you suddenly have to realize wait what is the meaning of good what is the definition of good and then that makes me think like as a person who loves english and wordplay for good close that door for good that's final like that's finality and button Period. Do not pass go. Do like, not collect $200. <laughs> like, there's no more for good. And that's, like, in our vocabulary. But we use the word good as, like, a final note. Like, there's nothing else besides good. Mm-hmm. That's interesting to me. With perspective, and you can get into the nitty-gritty of things like syntax, right? And that's why the English language is probably the grossest thing on the planet. Because you can say something, and and the way you, in, you intend that, and the structure that you put around it adds everything to the meaning. I mean, obviously the whole song in this show, who can say that I've been changed for the better, but I have been changed for good. Like I've seen people use that lyric, like when they're talking about someone they really admire or someone they love or, you know, someone who was influential in their life. You can have the meaning of I was changed for good as in morality. You can mm-hmm. have the meaning of I have been changed for good in indefinitely like I will never be the person I was or you know I have been changed for good in that I am a better person now because I knew you but like it's yeah it's so muddy and your perspective will absolutely influence how you interpret that particular thing Dreams come. We love you, we love you, we may be so bright. 
says that I adore. Nothing unites people more so than a common enemy. Oh, that's so accurate. Oh my god. That hurts. Right? My brain. Like you can you can bond like over hating someone. Trauma bonding. And in the show, we see that it's uh and again, it's even in this book, it's more so animals with a capital A and animals without a capital A. Sure. And so animals with a capital A are animals that can talk, the sentient ones, the ones like Dr. Dillamant, Allah the Lion. They're initially the enemy. But they become the thing that the wizard is trying to pin everything on and blame everything because he has bigger ideas, but he needs the people focused on something else. Yep. So he's using an enemy that he's crafted and created to create a smokescreen for the bigger end goals that he has in mind for Oz. And I, again, coming out of crazy political times of like a smokescreen a day. It felt like, yeah. like, why am I, why, why am I having, why are you telling me to look over here when I know you're doing something big over here? Well, if we just get them to look here, we'll completely negate what's happening over here. And, it, you know, I mean, humans are, you know, um, perceptive creatures by nature. And I mean, okay, in, in given circumstances, they are perspective, they are perceptive. It was the Stanford prison experiment that like, you get a group of students together and you and you randomly choose who are the guards and who are the inmates. The inmates will all bond immediately over the fact that they hate the guards and they overtook them, right? And they caused so much psychological trauma with this entire group of people just to prove a point that when push comes to shove, if, you know, uh, all for like all for a common goal is better than you know, one person trying to break out of a pack and, you know, do something different because like there's strength in numbers. So like, of course, it's going to make sense that people rally together over something that is a common enemy. It's harder to hate somebody and to be mad at them because it takes a lot of effort, but it's the first thing that you want to do because it's a visceral reaction and it's, and it's, and it's, you know, like hot and it's like heavy and, and, and you want to do it because it somehow makes you feel good to be mad about something. And mm-hmm. so then you get a group of people together who are like, oh my God, I'm so mad at the right. Oh my God, me too. Here's why I'm mad about it. And then you just start building a camaraderie based on something that is bad. I mean, I've been in theater shows where we're like, I can't believe that we're having to do this. And then you all hate the director. And then that's the thing that brings you all together. And then you get better because you all hate what you're being told to do. (laughs) (laughs) You're like, okay. Oh my God, 1,000. They think I'm wonderful. Hey, look who's wonderful. This corn-fed hick who said it might be keen to build a town of green and a wonderful road and yellow brick. See, I never had a family of my own, so I guess I just wanted to give the citizens of Oz everything. So you lied to them. Elphaba, where I'm from, we believe all sorts of things that aren't true. We call it history. A man's called a traitor or liberator. A rich man's a thief or philanthropist. Is one a crusader or ruthless invader? It's all in which label is able to persist. So we have our dueling girls. Our pinks and the greens. 
Elphaba and, and Galinda, who eventually drops the ga, and that's big for her. <laughs> that's what do we think? Overall thoughts on like this enemies becoming the best of friends? I think it's it works like it really does like it is a trope that has been proven to like captivate people because like you when rooting for an underdog right you root for an underdog because they get teamed up with somebody who is strong in the eyes of whoever matters whether it's school community whatever i mean look at mean girls katie heron we like katie heron because while katie holds on to her own personality she you know like latches on to somebody who is popular she gets a a little bit too big for her britches and then she has to go through this whole dark night of the soul and she's got to like you know come into her mm-hmm. own and do a bunch of things so it is a it is a common story that people like to watch because we want somebody to be better and we want them to overcome adversity because somehow in our own minds we also need that in our life so it's it's cathartic to see somebody else do that and you're like ah oh, yes i'm rooting for you because that's amazing it's an easy way to tell this particular story because we start off with, you know, Glinda telling everyone the witch is dead and here it is and and everybody be sad. And someone's like, wait, weren't you friends with her? And she's like, well, and it was a, it was a very Wayne's world moment, right? Where we're like, we're going to go back in time and tell you this story. Not only does it give the, I guess if you're going to use a protagonist and an antagonist in this particular scenario, Glinda seems to be the protagonist because everybody likes her, right? And she's the popular one and does all the things. Elphaba comes in kind of as an antagonist because she is the polar opposite of this. And each of them learns something else from the other, right? So Elphaba learns, you could say she learns patience. She learns... uh, Social ability. Social ability, thank you. And then, you know, uh, Glinda learns how to you know, take people as they are. And she learns how to like maybe drop the stereotypes a little bit and to be more patient or to be more accepting. And and you truly, I think, only get that if you start off adversarial and then you start seeing each other's perspective. Like what bitch level are we on where Glinda is doing these little things to Alphaba? She's so mean to her. Oh! Like... We we have that wonderful song, Loathing. Yes. And it's funny because as I was reading this book, I can't help but find the parallels and of course. start in my head. There's background music because it's a musical. <laughs> and there's this whole moment early on in the book in part two where they're at college and we see this moment of what would be popular. Sure. She's presented with a hat and like gives her a little bit of a zhuzh and says, oh, my gosh, how dare you be so beautiful? Like, right. That's wrong. And she she in her heart meant it like is what it says. And she was surprised that she meant it. (laughs) But um, she as a joke, like gives Elphaba this pointy hat and everyone laughs at her. But then it becomes the staple for which Elphaba is known like it becomes the thing that is the wicked witch of the west how awful would you feel because this is what happens is because of this act of kindness of giving the hat and being so kind because that's what makes her so nice (laughs) alphaba has sort of been glinda's champion and tells madame morrible I want you to bring her on too in your sorcery program and uh, we can work together Mm -hmm. because her act of kindness, which she has never had 
done to in her life, yep. it seems. Big for her. Big enough that she allows Glinda to come in and study with her. How would you feel being Glinda? She, like, holy shit. <laughs> Well, and, and the timing of this is so is so wild, right? Because like we've got, you know, she presents her this hat and she goes, Oh, it's you're just both so smart. And and she gives it to her and then she goes off to this party thinking that it's it's very almost like a I don't know. I might uh, uh, liken it to like a Carrie scenario, right? Where we're like, we're gonna we're gonna dress her up, we're gonna make her look pretty, we're gonna do these things, and then we're gonna make her look ugly because that's funny. But she gives her this hat, and they go to this party, and you know all of these things transpire, and you know then you know um, Madame Morrible comes to the Oz Dust Ballroom and is like, "Here's your wand," and she's like, "Excuse me, my what? Like what is?" this and she realizes what has taken place and then she looks over and sees everybody making fun of Alphaba in this pointy hat but then somebody goes wow that's wild she doesn't really care what anybody thinks like look at her she's just dancing out there by herself and then Galinda comes out and starts trying to dance with her too because she's like maybe it doesn't really she matter she needs to try to like feel better about herself by doing a public act oh to, my god Abs- I mean like to try to redeem yeah absolutely she's so from the I guess I really feel like you know the first i don't know half of act one she really is very yeah everything is on the surface everything is about looks everything is about how am i perceived what do people think of me i craft my personality to be a very specific thing so people know what they're getting into pretty immediately and it's such a great juxtaposition to see her up against Alphaba because Alphaba's outward appearance is something she cannot change so all she does is roll with it because she's like well clearly I can't change myself while Galinda is so desperately trying to make her outward appearance something that is noticeable it's so beautiful to see these two together but like if I yeah. were Galinda I would be I would be mortified and I would desperately try to like mask the fact that this was a joke like I would absolutely not let her know that I did that out of, you know, spite or like vicious mockery. Like I would absolutely try my hardest not to, because. But but even then, if Elphaba figured it out, I feel like she's the type of person that would just be like, "Well, yeah, all right, but, ha ha, jokes on you," because I don't really care. Do you think in that moment that Elphaba didn't know? Because I think there there's a moment of her it clicking. I think there's like that. It's that uh, Elle Woods walking into the party in the Playboy bunny oh, costume and realizing yeah. she's been duped. Yeah. I think it's that. I think it's that a little bit. Oh, yeah. Because then she but owns then she, it completely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this this was something in um, the the research and things that I came across and I it blew my mind. So Alphaba has this innate ability to put up armor and be just who she is and just take anything. Like it's, it's almost like a, like not to like say she's on a spectrum, but like she could be because of just the way she has to interact and how she's hardened herself. Sure. Have you ever thought that the wicked witch can't cry because the water will cause her physical pain. Taking it from the the show specifically, when someone makes that comment where it's like, oh, water would melt her. Oh, people believe the dumbest things. 
Like we, you know, we establish that it is, you know, that that's not real. But again, the truth that everybody believes, that's what leads to the end of the show because everybody believes that she's gone. And well, because then this is like going back into this book too. Yes. Because that's where, that's where like this stems from. And she does actually get melted by Dorothy Mm -hmm. in, in this book. Like she does die. Not, she doesn't whisk away with the scarecrow. Um, Oh man. But also when she's growing up, she lives by it, by this like small lake Mm -hmm. and she refuses as a baby to go into the lake. She's never cried as a baby because she innately knew that like this water would hurt her. And so I just think there's something super insane that a person has never cried because they, they can't, they know that they can't do it because it's just going to inflict more pain. And I, that it just totally went, Oh shit. I never thought of that. Well, and that what's funny you now that you mentioned that is like there I I do actually have a, probably a couple of people in my uh, group of friends that have never legitimately cried and like whether it's like a genetic condition or or something like that like they they almost feel more pain because they can't have that catharsis of a cry to be able to let it out and then be able to regroup and you know, I I kind of feel like that. Maybe that's why Alphaba gets so, like, focused, like, needlepoint focused about what she wants to accomplish because, like, she can't let out an emotion, like, physically because it will hurt her. So she goes, all right, fine. And if it's of the emotions that are the most violent, sadness and rage are the two most violent emotions that you can feel because, like, they rack your body and they make you feel, like, absolute, like, physical responses. So, I mean, you know, hell, if you're not going to cry, you might as well scream. And Elphaba does that really well. It's interesting that you bring that up because I guess I never, I had never thought of it that way. Because I I know that line exists, people believe the stupidest things, like, regarding the water. So it sets up the fact that, oh, maybe this isn't real. But then they set it up, too, in Under the Bridge, Mm -hmm. uh, when she sings I'm Not That Girl, that she has to hide under the bridge while it's raining. Exactly. And so you don't know. You're still left in this world of, will she melt? I don't know. Right, which then leads, it's it's the mystery that keeps you kind of in the through line of the show. I mean, not to say that the show doesn't have like hooks to like keep you in the whole time. Oh yeah. But that is, but that is one that is very interesting because you're, it, it's, it's the, it's the waiting for the beat to drop that you're sitting there on the edge of your seat like, but is it, is it going to do it? We anticipate that thing happening that when it doesn't happen, I mean, it's, I mean, to use a pretty crass term it's like getting blue balls it's terrible you don't like feeling it (laughs) you make my balls so blue (laughs) oh god oh my god no time for heathers (laughs) i love that musical so much anyway Well, but then how about after the girls don't hate each other anymore? We see this them come together and be uh, 
almost fighting for one another. Like we see in Defying Gravity, they actually really want to work together, but they know they have to go their separate ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, then they have this sort of meeting come up and straight after Dorothy is just squash Nessa. And um, <laughs> it's fine. I, I, I do love that they gave purpose to the shoes that she needed them. And that it like it creates this whole backstory regarding the shoes and like allowing like I I do love that because I think that is part of uh, Bomb's history if I remember correctly. Sure, there is something to be said about how you can find the strongest friendships in the most unlikely places. Oh, it's so oh, that's so true. Well, how about uh, all these like side characters? We we've we've got Fiera, we've got Bach, Wizard, Morable. Who who do we like? Who do we hate? Who do we feel sorry for? Um, Morable's kind of a bitch. Ah! Screw her. Oh! Just a little bit. Oh, I mm, yeah. such hot um, thoughts. She she actually kills Dr. Dillamond <gasps> in the book, and she's the one that says animals should be seen and not heard. <gasps> oh my god. Uh... Strictly in the book, she holds a seminar every, every once a week. Right. And people get to get up and present different things. And sure. one of them is a particular type of poem. The last bit of one of them said is animals should be seen and not heard <gasps> is something that she gave. That's and so, so I love how they did transcribe that into something big and bold for a Broadway stage in Dr. Dilliman's class. And it's oh. funny because right after this revelation happens, Morable walks in. So it's almost a nod, if you know you know, that she's the one that wrote it. Oh my god, what a cheeky nod. Oh, I started off really liking her because she she felt very... Um... Anti-Glinda, who were kind of like, you pompous yes. And then on Elphaba's side, being like, oh, okay, cool, you're magic and I'm going to help you. Yeah. It felt very almost like, um, who is it in Hunger Games? Is it Effie Fink? Is that who it is? The one that um, Elizabeth Banks yes. plays? I don't know. I got a, I got a, that vibe. She's so concerned with, you know, I mean, obviously she's the headmaster of a school. So like she kind of has to have, I don't know, care for the students or whatever. She's also the one that I'm pretty sure somewhere in act two, she and Galinda have this moment where Madame Morrible is like, you kind of also are responsible for this stuff that's happening. Maybe you should shut your mouth and, you know, quit trying to defend her and like mm-hmm. all this stuff. You know, This is what she wanted all along. So I think you should should just stand here and smile honey like that's what she's saying and it's beautiful oh my god i mean it's such a um it's a hamilton moment talk less and smile more like that's the you know pretty girls don't talk like you know you want to you want to make your way in life sometimes you gotta learn to sit down and shut up and i feel like galinda's not that person at all she's like nope i don't do that I, uh, if I want somebody to know how I'm feeling, this is what they need to know. The wizard in all of this. So he's like puppet mastering everything yeah. with people. And um, they called me wonderful. Yes, yes, yes. And uh, so you get this play on Wonderful Wizard of Oz. Of course. But he he sees himself that what he, they revered him. They, they looked to him. He magically came down in this apparatus and we're going to revere you with all your contraptions and things. Mm -hmm. I just laugh because how many times do we think that happens to people where they get caught up? It's like you get hired for the job and you can't do that job. (laughs) Nope. You lock yourself in your office and you like 
YouTube and Google and you're like, I'm going to figure out how to do this. You know, that's essentially what happened to him. Oh, I mean, who among us? Yeah. Has not had that job where you're like, my interview was great. Of course I could do this job. And then you sit down for your first day and you're like, holy, I don't know anything about this job. But then it of course goes to his head. Yeah, of course. And then he gets manipulative and then he feels the power that can happen and i i don't know it's just weird because you growing up of course with the wizard of oz you see this jovial man trying to help these people get the heart the brain and the courage and then help get dorothy home Uh, i love the twist of it all that like he's banished and has to be sent back out and that's how this little girl's getting back home sure so it's kind of like he's fleeing like uh, a power struggle in a regime that also seems like i guess a literary trope you could say is like the wise old man the kind old man the one that's gonna like help you on your way he's got all the answers and he's the one that everybody knows and like of course like if you go here all your problems will be solved and your life will get better and then you find out that he's a charlatan he's a bad guy or you know he he was a you know just a a wrong place wrong time guy like i mean it just that i think again is another I, I mean, literary trope is the best words that I can use, but it's it's a way to show growth in characters, right? Because like you're taking off the mask or you're peeking behind the curtain and you're like, aha, I see the trick behind the magic. And and then characters who learn that information have to make a choice and they have to go. I mean, like, you know, especially in, in the beginnings of Defying Gravity, Galinda goes, you know, why couldn't you stay calm for once? I hope you're happy. I hope you're happy now. And, and Alphabet's like, yeah, but you don't understand. Here is what's happening. This is why I'm not okay with it. And then Galinda's like, oh, perhaps I jumped to a conclusion. <laughs> Maybe I should just like let you tell the whole story before I jump in and go, oh my God, here's my opinion. <laughs> uh, I, I, we also sort of see that with Glinda after she gets Fiero mm-hmm. and gets everything she ever wanted. And she couldn't be happier, but there's kind of a sort of cost. (laughs) Just like buying haunted items from an apothecary and a dude that's clearly Satan when he says everything comes with a price. (laughs) I mean, look at Ursula. It won't cost much, just your voice. Like there's, there's so many transactions in this that are like, well, I mean, if you truly want everything you've ever wanted, you can't get it for free. And so, I mean, you know, Glinda learns that, I mean, Fierro's not the guy. Like, Fierro's only the guy for show, right? We marry him and we keep up the appearance because we don't want people to ask questions. But truly, he's going off trying to find Alphaba to profess his love to her. The magic of, of um, the uh, idea of... Um, you know, what what we put forth versus who we are on the inside and like what lengths we will go to to keep this, I don't know, this outward facade, a particular looking thing. What is good? What is bad? Like what is conventionally good or bad? And, yeah. you know, it's, I mean, it's wildly applicable. I may know, I don't care just for this
And then we kind of see this arc of Fiero, right? We get this. He starts off with his carefree, nonchalant. Yeah. Yo, dude, just like life at the party. Just Let's like, go. Yep. What's up? He's totally from California. He oh my God, Long- he's such he a Cali Long- bro. Yeah, he's like Long Beach and like, bro, I just want like a hot dog to like smash down the pier, right? Like, let's just go. <gasps> oh my God, he's so cute already. I love the fact that he's a Cali bro. So good. We do get to see him grow. We get to see him like have a moment where he realizes, oh, there's more than just dancing through life. So he starts to try. He gets, he gets wise and he gets a little bit of a brain right and uh realizes he doesn't really care or want to be with glinda anymore he wants substance so he then ergo wants to be with real connection alphaba and but he's stuck with glinda in this public facade um fetching a drink and um he's gone off to fetch me a drink but then we have to think would glinda choose bach see if if Mm. bach would have made it would she have? This is very interesting because it, at what point are we asking Galinda, would you rather choose Fiero or Bach? Right? If it's like the very beginning of this where she and Alphaba maybe aren't like the friends yet and it's at the Ozdust, she's going to choose Fiero because he is the right choice, right? He looks the part. He acts the part. Clearly the jock and the popular girl get together, right? Like, or not the jock, but like, you know, the popular guy and the popular girl, that's the trope. They got to be together. Then after being friends with Alphaba and like learning things about herself and learning things about the world, I feel like when given the option, she might've chosen Bach. I don't know. Bach was so uh, like devoted to her and like wanted to do right by her and to do things for her. I mean, I Obviously, she had all these people that were doing that for her anyway, but it was a very surface level, like, I want to get in Galinda's good graces. Like, I want to make sure that she knows who I am. Maybe in Bach, it was a little bit more, I just like you for who you are. So I feel like maybe later on, she would have chosen him if given the opportunity, I think, because she learned more about herself and gained a different perspective, I think. You have to go through some of those things sometimes and learn. And that's the only way to do it. You really do. Let's shift gears. Uh, What are some of your favorite small moments in the show? There's little comedy bits and there's (sighs) fun little dark moments and then there's heartfelt moments soul crushing moments like let's talk about some of these things oh my god i mean uh, i mean i'll say as a blanket statement like some of my favorite moments are between alphaba and galinda obviously they were born iconically through kristen chenoweth and adina menzel and so they had like a rapport that they were able to rely on when they were on stage together i don't know like i mentioned earlier this this show really is kind of like breaking the fourth wall without meaning to break the fourth wall mm-hmm. um this might be a cop out but i'm gonna tell you anyway one of my favorite moments between um alphaba and galinda is when they're in their dorm room and and galinda's about to sing popular and she's like you know taking you know she's taking alphaba's hair down and she's like trying to do all these things and when she sticks that hair clip in and alphaba looks at herself like she i think she actually sees herself for the first time as something other than a pariah yeah and it's, oh, yeah. oh, it just makes my heart melt. It's so good. It's so good. Yeah. The the nuance in that scene is deceptive. I Like, I can't even imagine directing that scene or or having to play one of those roles in that scene because mm-hmm. it's, it's all about the tiny nuances and all about just, like, the right pauses and the right interaction moments. Absolutely. 
And the the way that we get to see it done by these professionals is it, like it's deceptively hard. And I Glinda has to be so devoted in that moment, especially that moment to it's so surface level. It's so stupid. And it's so just like, no, toss, toss. You just have to like toss your hair. But she's <laughs> actually trying to be helpful. Like she thinks this is going to solve your problems. I promise you, I just want to be there for you. You were so nice to me. I need to do something for you. Like you're oh. in debt. Like she feels indebted in a way. Right. Yeah. So I, I just love that whole dynamic. And that scene really is like amazing. There's a, there was a moment that I, I almost like got teary and like it struck me. They finally get to, to the Emerald city mm-hmm. and they walk down stage left and Elphaba is like having this moment and Glinda's like, wait, 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 come on. You were going to be late for Wizomania. And she's like, I just, I find Elphaba is having this moment of, I finally feel seen. I feel, feel yeah. like I I don't I'm not sticking out like a sore thumb I'm not I get to just be me like that release it was so beautiful and then like of course I have to do the parallel of, like queer representation like Elphaba is like a pure like queer icon yes. in every way just like the different thing that people look on is like you're kind of weird and yeah. I don't get you so I should be afraid of you and oh. you know down with that but then those moments were like I likened it unto the first time I was walking down the street, like here in Portland and just realizing like, I don't have to worry about a beer can being chucked at my head. Oh, no one's going to be judging what I'm wearing. Cause like, I'm just another face in the crowd and I, oh. there's weirder people out here than I am. And I love them. And so like, <laughs> you know, you suddenly just get this or the first time you walk into like a gay space or a gay bar and you realize you can just like breathe. Yeah. And it's so um, wonderful is the word Aww. like you just get to feel like you and you don't have to worry about it and yeah. it it's one of those amazing parallels that that moment stuck out to me this time during the watch but there are a lot of those beautiful little moments that oh. happen in the show that are just crafted so so well yeah what do you think about like what that review said though that it, it tends to like jolt you in and out of this i mean I, I, unfortunately I, I i can't disagree with it because it does you know kind of feel like moment to moment the the stakes kind of change right and the and the the tactics and the trajectory of where we're going kind of changes but you know i find it funny that this is the review that i chose to read because i don't know it's not unlike going to college or being a queer person or being in an environment that you're not used to or you know insert whatever you want to but like from moment to moment as you learn new things things change and sometimes they change pretty violently and like you know while it can seem a bit disconnected I think to certain people um, I feel like especially as a you know as a female presenting person like I have spent many years like thinking that I've got green skin, honestly, because like I have been bullied and I have been told that I am worth nothing and I don't look pretty and like, who's going to love me and like all of these terrible, terrible things. And, and so to have someone look at you and to teach you the toss toss of it all is just so liberating. Just like you said, you feel seen, you feel acknowledged, you feel like somebody is taking this moment to go, Hi, you matter in this space. Let's make you feel that way. So, you know, I think the disjointedness is just a reflection of real life, to be honest. I think it's kind of 
interesting because now that I've sort of looked at this through this like puppet show lens, I think it also adds in with you and what you're saying is that this almost always feels a little bit aside to the audience because it's it really is Mm -hmm. a performance for the audience and making it that puppet show feel of this is the story. This is what we're telling. This is how I choose to remember this is kind of beautiful in that way too. Absolutely. One question haunts and hurts. Too much, too much to mention. Was I really seeking good or just seeking attention? Is that all good deeds are when looked at with an ice cold eye? If that's all good deeds are, maybe that's the reason Strong and weak points of this show. What's your strong point and weak point? This might, again, this might be a cop out. I think that the strongest part of the show for me is its authenticity and the fact that it feels grounded and real, even though we are operating in a fictional universe. These are people that I absolutely either know, have known, have met, and it's relatable to me and it's meaty and it, and it, there's anima to it, which is so perfect because a lot of, a lot of, you could go wrong with this immediately and make it campy versus realistic. I'm going to say that has to be Maguire's to Maguire's credit. Cause he's like, I'm taking away the fantasticalness. These are people at the end of the day, we're people. So yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that, that's the strongest point for me. I think I mean, I guess you could say that even though I have talked nothing but good things kind of about why these tropes exist, I think maybe the weak point might be the trope because you can see it coming before it happens. So you're like, ah, it takes away the the mystery and maybe even a little bit of the magic of theater if you can see what's coming. And now it's just a matter of how does this manifest? Yeah, I mean, maybe? it's kind of like going to Titanic the musical, you know? You know the you ending. You know what's going to happen. <laughs> I'm just going to enjoy the ride. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, I I I think I agree with that. I I'll get more technical with it though. I'll start with a weak point for me. <laughs> Watching this oh, I hate to make this comparison. Even the staging feels dated to me. I mean, like, I could see that for sure. We're kind of pulling a little bit of a phantom issue here yeah. where I think it needs a good, strong, modern re-blocking and just a little <laughs> bit of a revision. I wonder why that's not common. Yeah. We're 20 years on stage. Why can't you realize two decades have gone by, eras of theater have come through and gone and passed. This show should grow with it too. So I would venture to say this show could do with a really good just sort of polish sure and uh 
sort of contemporization in a way. Yeah. And I don't think it would hurt this show at all. But I I will say some of the blocking felt rudimentary, a little 101. That's my one thing is that it's it's getting to feel a little dated. And I think that needs to be cognizant. A strong point for me, uh, maybe along the same lines of you, it's just the storytelling. It's the ability that they were able to take so many different things <laughs> and create what they did without breaking copyright law. Props to them. Hey! But also <laughs> by keeping what was maybe the heart of the intended source material in this reimagined land of Oz with Wicked by Gregory Maguire. Maybe not to Gregory Maguire's liking. <laughs> <laughs> service to the wizard. I have a personal score to settle without... With the witch! It's due to her I'm made of tin. Her spell made this occur. So for once I'm glad I'm heartless. I'll be heartless killing her. And the lion also has a grievance to repay. If she let him fight his own battles when he was young, he wouldn't be a coward today. This is going to be an impossible question, Mary. What is your favorite song? Oh, no. Why do you ask me this? I, you get one. What I, is your favorite I song know, in this show? And I promise you I'm not going to say Defying Gravity because that's, even though I do love that song a oh, lot. Man. It's so good because it's, so, especially as a mezzo, I'm like, I could kind of sing that maybe a little bit. <laughs> I'm actually going to choose I'm not that girl. <sighs> oh, you broody bitch. Okay. Because fine. let's be real. Fine. I mean, yeah, you just you know, lay there in your feelings. You yes. Just do your thing. Why I, don't you just go cry in your room? Okay. Well, I can't because it'll melt me, but <laughs> I, because I mean, you know, like we've talked about on a lot of shows, I I love a good ballad and I love a good heart song and a good like I want thing. But it is it is a really I don't know. I think for me, it's the first moment that you really see Elphaba go. Oh, my God, this is something that I think I wanted, but I know I could never have that because he could never love me. And like she, it's the first time we really see her kind of have an, a, an affection for somebody that isn't her sister, right? We've gone through popular. So like we're forming the bond with Galinda, but like we don't ever see Elphaba really have a romantic interest until this moment. And it's the spark of like, oh, I have spent so long in my life just focusing on one thing, taking care of my sister, trying not to be made fun of, that all of a sudden my vision's opened a little bit and I go, oh, that's... That's a possibility. Just kidding. He could never love someone like me. And it, I mean, it's a, it's a sentence that was said to me a lot of my life. And so, of course, I'm going to resonate with that. And yes, I'm going to be a broody bitch. And I'm going to go sit in my trailer and I'm going to cry about it. <laughs> I, no, to, to be fair, it's a beautiful, gorgeous song. And it, it, sure it, it's, I can't think of 
comparable, like emotionally ripping <laughs> numbers. Like it's it's hard to find that song that can do what that song does. Yeah. Um. So yeah. No. I I I I just because it really is uh, a beautiful number. And how how could I dog you for being the broody bitch I love? But no. <sighs> Yours isn't your audition song, is it? It's not that, no, is it? I'm I'm fighting really hard because I I love that entire sequence of dancing through life through Oz Dust Ballroom. Like sure. that entire I I would get to claim both of them because I think it's a slash. It is. Album. It's a slash. <laughs> it is. You're right. Because there is something to be said about that entire moment, because so much happens in that like eight minutes of yep. stage time. And so much character growth and so much fun and it's the big dance number of the show and you know that speaks to my heart so well oh yeah i know i'd like i tasked you with like one song and i'm like fighting between three Uh. fighting between three (laughs) one short day is actually creeping up to be like pick me oh and i don't know why I have to be in that mood to listen to it on the cast album. Well, I mean, but- you did say like earlier that that was a moment that struck you because again, Alphaba is being seen. She's finally attaining this True. thing. And maybe so that's I why. I see that. But you know, the song I will listen to over and over and over again and is the song for me mm-hmm. of this show, The Wizard and I. <gasps> what a good pick. Oh, yes. Oh, Steven, I- yes. <sighs> It has to be. So, yeah, I think it has to be that. And I've even said I love watching every single version of the Riff compilations. I will also attach that YouTube video in our uh, episode description for anyone who Yay. wants to sit through half an hour of Alphabet Riffs if you really want that. But, who um, doesn't yeah, I, want that? Because it's her moment of, like, hope. Yeah. She has been downtrodden, never seen. She's been told your abilities are crazy and don't do them. And now she's getting praise. And that's a great feeling. What is the audition song in this show? The audition song of this show. I think it's for good for me. Because. Would you. Oh, that's such a good song. Right. I know. I know. (laughs) Um, Or no good deed. Either one of those I think would be really good audition songs. Would you have everyone in the cast sing that song? Oh, that's true. Unfortunately, I feel like if it's a singular person, the audition song might be popular. Because, like, I mean, obviously that's a very Kristen Chenoweth thing. Or the, um, yeah, the the Wizard and I, because those are, I mean, again, for female presenting folks, those are really good ones. So those would be probably ones I would choose, especially because the Wizard and I is for a mezzo. Because I feel like Adina is like, she's a mezzo, but she can, like, go yeah. places. And then popular is for your actual soprano yeah. sopranos. See, and that's it's so hard. Um, the, the show almost feels too segmented in the things that are needed from each player. So if you were just wanting extra ensemble one of the smaller roles i mean i might have you sing one short day because it's really good long vocals it's got good staccato yes you know you you have this ability to see some range if i think this is one of those shows if you want you're gonna be gunning for one of the things like you're gonna come in and want alphabet you're Mm -hmm. gonna come in and want glinda you would have to prove that you can be a oh no oh no what bringing this back you need a blood spittoon if you wanted to sing ah! linda <laughs> our soprano blood spittoon some bloodletting oh christ I let... christine christ christine 
God. Um, this whole cast album is like riddled with great songs, female presenting, male presenting, whatever it is that you are. Like, you'll find something in your range. What is the thing you take away from this musical overall as its main arching theme? Like, oh, I, wow. I posed it like, what is good is the main thing, but yeah. this could be a show about friendships. This could be a show about morality. This could be a show about being different. It, it, you know, what? what is the main thing that you glean from this show? I would definitely go down the friendship track, and I think that the biggest thing that I take away from this show is the idea that the most unlikely person could turn out to be the greatest ally and the best friend you've ever had and someone who looks out for you in a way that no one else can. And I mean, to the point that, you know, I mean, whether or not Galinda knows that Elphaba faked this, right? Like we don't know if, I mean, I, I guess, or maybe we do, I don't know, but there is a bit of a wink and a nod there. That's like, all right, kid, go live your life. Like, I know that that's what you want and I got your back, but it's the, it's, it's the, it's the theme of, I got your back. And, you know, in this life, I think beyond the, the money you can make and the place you can live and, and the notoriety that you can gain, I mean, the most precious thing in my world are the the people that are in it and the ones that support me when I need them and the ones that challenge me when it's necessary. And those are more precious than anything else. And so to keep an open mind because you might find them in the most unlikely of places. I think the thing I take away from this show is remembering that we're all sort of going through this mortal coil Who am I to deem what's right for you or deem what's good for you to like wrap that all together? Like it's not it's not for me to decide what path you're on. I think we often get so caught up in we're the main main character of our own story that we don't realize there's another main character sometimes. And that really does help juxtapose this Elphaba and Glinda story. It is a story about friendship. It might be the life and times of the Wicked Witch of the West, but Glinda's a huge part of that. And she's also a main character. And so we have to we have to realize that duality sometimes. And even though it can be opposing forces or synergistic forces, you're both forces. And you have to acknowledge that. Because I know you. Because I know you. I have been changed for good And just to clear the air I ask forgiveness for the things I've done you blame me for But then I guess we know there's blame to share And none of it seems to matter anymore Well, let's uh, trot on down that yellow brick road to questions for table read. It's my favorite part. You'll see. Let's go through a Bechtel test. Hey, oh, let's go through a Bechtel test. I don't know where the f- that came from. Anyway, moving on. I don't. 
well, sis boom ba. <laughs> hey, it's dear old shiz. I mean, we're in college, right? That's- dear old shiz. Women. How are women perceived in the show? Are there good roles for women? Um, All of the above. I think I think it's pretty great. I, I think, think it's great. Yes, I think the answer is yes to everything. Yeah, I see no barriers. I see I see tropes getting broken. I see main female vehicles. I yeah. think this was a great show to represent all of that. Absolutely. I, I wish I was genetically female and or female presenting so I could be one of these amazing women. So. Oh, <sighs> I know. I'm sorry. Isn't it always funny? Guys are always like, I wish it was a girl. And girls think, I wish I was a guy. Because like we, all, we want each other's roles. That's exactly what you were going to say. You want each other's parts? Yeah. Parts. I was like, that's a little, it's a little on the nose. Uh, It's a little on the nose. Then how about race? Race in this show. Is this represented well? Does it matter? I mean, it doesn't matter, but I do think it speaks on the topic of race because, Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously Alphaba has a different skin color than everyone else. And so they, they make her a pariah. Allegory. Yeah. But I mean, no, does it matter? No, absolutely not. Because I mean, we've, as we've seen, there is a, you know, a person of color who is playing Galinda. Like it clearly does not matter what this is. It doesn't matter at all. This is absolutely one of those shows cast for talent, not for anything else. Please God, cast for talent. Absolutely that. And I'm a little, I'm a little peeved because now that we know Fiero is supposed to be a beautiful POC man, why, why he got to be a shitty white guy don't make him a shitty white guy stop that right now right you know what i'm saying i do love jonathan bailey though uh delicious um delicious (laughs) but um i can't wait to get to the quick cast of this then that's gonna be (laughs) i don't know i don't think we're gonna do a traditional quick cast with this because we already clearly have this film coming up and i think they did gangbuster perfection with everything yes yes. i even agree everyone that ariana grande is a perfect glinda (sighs) fight me slide into my dms let's have a chat uh so yeah gloves are off let's go (laughs) yeah we haven't even talked about this upcoming film yet but that'll be for show notes show notes Uh, then representation uh i think it's kind of along the same lines of race we get to see uh that perceived in Alphaba in some ways and we get to see feeling outcast feeling downtrodden feeling oppressed feeling uh, against the world sometimes so yeah i think that's it's not directly stated i even do notice the gender conformity the like the guys in oz Uh are wearing like skirts and dresses and like running around you know in all these things so yeah rules are bent and i i find that awesome absolutely does the story hold up without music? This book is its own thing, but I don't think the story on stage is the same as the book overall. Like, there's far too many differences. So I'm no. going to push the books aside. Yes. Would this story, without this music, be like what Gregory Maguire said and just be tripe and fluff? I don't think it would necessarily be fluff because there are some great acting moments that happen that are not involved in the score. So I think on that alone, you could say that it would still have substance to be able to watch it. However, I think that with the fact that this show does kind of deal with some... 
I guess you could say heavy themes or dark themes, like things that are buried under, you know, pretty costumes and sets and, and, and music. Like I, again, like a lot of the shows that we've talked about, especially in this season of death, the music is important because it, it allows a form of lightness to be able to, you know, kind of take your mind off of the actual like dreariness of what's happening because Again, especially since we're rooting this, we're making it realistic and we're trying to make it feel authentic. I mean, I feel like I would just cry if I was, you know, looking at, you know, Alphaba going, well, I'll never be loved and I'll die alone. But no, we got to put it in a song because then it makes it more palatable. So, like, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm going to well, probably I say mean, no, probably. I need the music for this. Read the book and you'll you'll feel that. No, uh, <laughs> no. As... As an Oz file, I would probably stick my nose in it, watch it, yeah. understand it, and be yeah. like, it's fine, you don't like this show. Oh. Uh. You know, but, yeah. You're just going to be the hipster before it was cool. <laughs> can the show change an era, time, decade? Now, I I don't It's I don't not think in time. any of those. No, it's not. It's in a... No. Oz is it's in its own time. Yeah. I, th- this is weird. Have we ever had one where it's like, Oz can be whatever you want it to be. I truly don't think so. I mean, like everything that we've talked, everything that we've discussed, like while it might be in a, like a fictional realm is still rooted in some sort of like, we understand roughly what time period this is. But yeah, I mean, like this is, this is beyond all that. The only thing rooting it, I think is the wizard himself, because we're supposed to assume it's Dorothy Gale era where there were like snake oil salesmen and like one could say, sure. Oh, we're rooted here. But I don't think overall that we're stuck in that. The wizard could be any schmo coming in on his hot air balloon. And Dorothy <laughs> can be any innocent farm girl from Kansas. You know, like I I I don't think uh, the wizard can be any schmo. <laughs> <laughs> well then let's actually i'm interested in this change that question could this show be modern like plop it in like high school setting contemporary if we're gonna play it's just people being people take out that part take out the weird funny part like put them in jeans and t-shirts i actually think that i would really dig a rendition of that i really think (sighs) i would Ooh, okay because like i don't know like i mean we've seen a lot of things uh in you know modern like i mean cinema theater whatever that we are taking something that is fantastical and we are making we are putting a modern lens on it because it's trying to make it more relatable like i don't know i feel like you could totally wait is mean girls just wicked yes yes it is yes absolutely yes yeah, I like this theory. Oh my god, we should reach out because I know our friend John Riley has a podcast dedicated to this. <gasps> Task him oh. with comparing Mean Girls and, and Wicked. Wicked. Oh my god, Ch- challenge accepted. And also, if you don't, if you don't go follow John, if you haven't listened to his uh, show, Life's But a Song Pod, um, you've got to go listen to it. It's an incredible show um, at But a Song Pod, I think, on Instagram. Um, and of course, you know, we have our crossover episodes when we were um, when we did uh, a. 
Very Potter musical, Very Potter sequel, Very Potter uh, senior year. Um, we've been guests on there. He's been guests with us. Uh, Diana the musical, we got to cover with him, which was great. Um, so yeah, if you don't follow him already, you should also go do that because he is an incredible uh, theater person and podcaster as well. But oh my God, I would kill to listen to John make a comparison of these two things. Ah! That would be really interesting because I think there's too much overlay, but we'll yep, see. Yep. Amateur or professional? Scale one to ten. Where does wicked lie? Um. Now we know this has only been done professionally. Correct. So, do we think a nice regional community theater high school could put this show on and it feel the same? You know, I mean, the answer to that question specifically, I think, is no, because you have again, we we are in the world of Oz. We are we are setting the standard pretty or setting the bar pretty high that the expectation is everything is fantastical, right? It's fantastical, but we're putting we're we're sifting it through a modern filter or a, a realistic filter, and we're trying to make it relatable, and we're trying to make it all these things. So while I am always about giving somebody the opportunity to try to do something. I think this might be the first time that this might be a little bit unattainable. I think strictly because of the technical prowess that this show has, the musical prowess that this show has, um, I'm actually going to put this firmly at like, I don't know, I might put this at a nine. Uh, I think I might do that. Wow. Because I want regional theaters to do it, but... I also want to, I really want my first time of watching this show to be either on Broadway or a touring version that has taken from Broadway and is making it accessible. That's what I want. Oh man, I'm, I'm really torn on this and I don't know that like, I fully agree with a nine because I don't want this show to go any less than that. (laughs) But my issue is I think I vehemently disagree with you. And that's where the juxtaposition of my head is going. Cause I'm like, no, I agree. I, in my heart, I fully agree with you in my fully new varnished tin woodsman heart. Oh, it's I agree. so pretty. But I disagree on the ability. I think I know exactly how I would put this show on in a community theater setting. Sure. Five. I'm putting it mid. Okay. You have to have people with vocals. Yep. But kind of like I was saying, everything about the staging of this feels rudimentary in 101. I don't know. I think it's accessible. And you just need an ensemble that moves pretty well. I I think you there's possible. I think with a little theater magic, you could recreate some of these things. So sure. I don't know. I'm about it. I think it's great. Hmm. 50 years from now will wicked still be being staged yes yes full-on yes if it's not somebody did something wrong this is going to go down as like the the chicago's and cabarets and oklahoma's of the world like this this has rooted itself in humanity and it just is and of course my favorite would you love to show wicked to some alien life forms mary I will never change my answer. I, yes, I would. Okay, I, so why why do I ask this? I'm going to have to figure out for season three a version of this question that might tantalize you into a no. Um, <laughs> I mean, I can, I could, you know, I could make arguments for why I wouldn't show it to aliens because 
you know, I mean, it, I mean, yeah, it is something that is completely fantastical. It's not, it's not based on any historical thing. Like, I mean, yeah, aliens could pull up like the history of this thing and they could like do a thing, but like, I don't know. It might just, it might, it might scare them. Cause they're like, Oh my God, this thing has the same color skin as me. Like what, like, what is this? Like that. Ah! And it would, it might cause their brain. Oh to break. my gosh. They would totally identify with Elphaba. They would. They'd be like, is this how we're treated if we stay here? And then they would wipe out the world. Ooh, that's fun. on wicked like phantom when you hit that real first big you know group hurrah and you've got that juicy chord that just like tugs at every heartstring i mean i got goosebumps immediately and so i knew it was going to be a good show because that is my barometer is do i get goosebumps okay great it's gonna be a great show but i mean more more than just that i think that it's an important story to be told because i mean while it is about you know witches and flying monkeys and uh, you know all of these other things there are some really real world kind of lessons that you can pull from this they i mean this is a teaching tool for a lot of children to teach them how to be open-minded and kind and how to not judge a book by its cover because like things can change and these are applicable life lessons that continue on into your adulthood and I feel like it is an important piece of theater because of its universality because of its timelessness and I am thrilled that I finally get to put the pieces together and go, ah, yes, Defying Gravity is not the end of the show. It is only the end of Act One. <laughs> oh, no. Well, I'm glad we covered this show just for that reason alone. <laughs> oh, my how, God. How embarrassing for you if you would have started a conversation in some theater group with like, don't you just love how wicked ends to find gravity and alpha B being lifted. And you're like, what did you leave at act one? <laughs> what do you mean? Oh, you've never seen the show. Huh? Get oh. out. <laughs> oh, are you cute? <laughs> I don't know. A final thought on the show is near impossible for me. The, I, the, the idea of this show is so steeped in how I try to live my life. I try to always look at something from the other side. I will always play devil's advocate. So this speaks to me at my core to go, well, what about the witch and why? Why wouldn't she? Wh why is she so hellbent on this? Yeah. I love that more than anything about this show is that it flips everything on its head and it makes you question what you think you know. And it makes you question who you are, who other people in your life are. And really at the end of the day, you then have 
have to take those things and you'll question yourself of, am I doing this for good or am I just seeking attention? And I really do love that aspect of this show. Oh, that's a beautiful final thought, Steven. Uh, oh, I love this. Well, all right, let, let's let rip off the Band-Aid right now because we, we all know this is the only portion of the show that I know what's coming. Is that stupid? Probably. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> we 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 come off this you know this this beautiful land of oz we're running down a yellow brick road we have no idea where we're going but it seems like it'll be fun um what's the clue for the show that we get to cover next time we've been having a little fun we've had our dalliances with these not so death centric shows lately and i would even venture to say evil dead is not about death no it is about blood yes and tits so from- sorry Blood and tits. Yeah. So from Kinky Boots, Evil Dead into a Wicked, we are firmly planting ourselves back into the realm of death. And we are going to run the gauntlet in our next five shows (gasps) about deep, devastating death. So the first one in this gauntlet of five is a fun little clue. I'm just going to call Suburban Psychosis. How dare you? Again, with the simplicity of the thing. Oh, Suburban. Okay, that sounds like a band name. Like, what in the... Okay. Well, again, I don't make the clues. I just sit here and ponder them. So while I do that, make sure you follow us on Instagram from the top underscore podcast. If you want to get in on our conversation of uh, any of the shows that we've covered, if you never want to miss a moment of our shenanigans, uh, slide into our DMs if you have something that you want to say about any of our shows. And uh, if you'd like to have a longer conversation, something that isn't, you know, limited to however many characters you can do on an Instagram DM, make sure you email us podcast from the top at gmail.com. Uh, Steven, this has been wonderful. Thank you. I, I, I don't know. The last few shows have been really, really good. This one has been fire. Like, I think, you know, again, I'm finally starting to get the hang of this after two seasons, babe. I can finally say something smart. Uh, and it's a good 67 time. shows later. I we mean, got this. it's fine. I'm a late bloomer. <laughs> I just come to it. on. I'm on merry time, babe. I come when I'm ready. Like, that's what I do dirty i know uh but until next time this has been from From the the top a wandering unicorn production all right i think i might know the answer to this question but i'm gonna ask you anyway if you had the choice to be a good witch or a bad witch, which do you choose? I'm a bad bitch, and that's what makes me so nice. <laughs>